Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. As I start this program, I need to call myself out on something. Do you know in almost 100 episodes of Demand Gen Radio that I have never had someone on the program in sales, let alone a head of sales like I have today? And so I am just going to call myself out on that. And the reason that I'm kind of tweaked with myself for it is because... All I do is talk about sales and marketing alignment, and all we do on Demandian Radio is talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth, and how dare that I do not have the other piece of the equation on this program. So shame on me, and that has officially changed today, because today on the program, I am joined by Alyssa Merwin from LinkedIn, and Alyssa is the Vice President of Sales Solutions, and she and I today are going to talk about sales leadership. We're going to talk a little bit about the alignment of sales and marketing, and we are going to talk just a little bit about the changing landscape and changing role and responsibilities for sales. So that is coming up. Alyssa, thank you for joining me today and being my first sales leader on the program. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm excited to be making history together. I am very excited. Um, you know, I track almost with OCD level of tracking uh, the viewership of every single program to see what people are looking at and what people like. And I will promise you this, that I will keep you posted on how our episode does. I have no doubt that it's going to be a very fun and, and a inspiring and meaningful program. So let's, let's jump in. Um, for those of you that, that don't know Alyssa, uh, obviously she works at LinkedIn, so you can find her on LinkedIn. And I love the article that you wrote, Would Your Team Go Into Battle For You? And maybe we can start there because I think it talks a little bit about your journey into sales and sales leadership and the things that you've discovered there. So what, what prompted you to write that article, which is a very vulnerable and, and really, uh, really inspired me? Oh, well, well, thanks for that. It was a bit nerve-wracking to put something so personal and so challenging out into the world, but it's been nice to uh, receive, you know, comments from folks that I think have been in more situations. And I, you know, I, I think my my interest in doing it was to share an experience that hopefully others could learn from, and also to let others know that you're you're not alone. Uh, I think being able to talk about the things that we don't often feel comfortable putting out into the universe, especially in the professional setting can just make it easier for others to uh, not make the same mistakes. And, you know, if, if we want to dive a little bit into what prompted it, yeah, I, uh, I had, I had, I started my career at, at an amazing company where I basically grew up from a sales dev rep into a senior leadership role and had learned how to be a really, really effective sales manager. I think we had one of the best sales processes in the world in terms of just great, uh, really great sales acumen and really tight management of the activity metrics and all the things that is, uh, as a sales leader you focus on. And I came to LinkedIn, it was, gosh, just, just about eight years ago. And I, I came in as one of the very few external sales leadership hires at the time. It was, the company was quite small back in those days. And I was bringing this great 
sales expertise and process and uh, a lot of knowledge to LinkedIn, which at the time was a, a very entrepreneurial, earlier stage company. And we were just very early in our maturation as a, as a sales organization. And I came in wanting to make a big impact and do great things and help my team crush it. And what happened instead is about about six months into my uh, my time with LinkedIn, my my boss sat me down. It was actually over over a, a, an old fashioned uh, after a, a happy hour we had with the team, and all the team had gone home. And he said, "You know, Alyssa, I think you've brought a lot of great stuff to to the LinkedIn and to your team, but I have to tell you, there are certain leaders whose teams would go into battle for them, and and yours is not one of them. They would not go into battle for you." Wow. That that knowing you as I've gotten to know you, that that must have really just had you take a deep breath and sigh and lean back and go, really? Yeah, I, it was it was about the toughest punch in the gut I had ever experienced professionally. Uh, you know, I built this entire career uh, building towards you know bigger and bigger sales leadership roles, feeling like I was learning and growing and really knew what I was doing. Uh, maybe another bit of context uh, is that I I stepped back that the role that I left at my former company was a really, really large job. And I stepped back to a frontline sales manager job, just leading five reps, which I figured I could do in my sleep, given all the experience I'd had. So to take this big step back into a you know, smaller job where I really felt like I knew exactly what I was doing and then to be told I was failing. Uh, and not only was I failing, but that the team didn't, they just weren't connecting with me on any level was just a total, uh, you know, full-crushing moment. So the company that you mentioned that you were at, it was Corporate Executive Board, very well-respected company in the space. And like you say, you were there, what, almost 10 years and, and grew up there in sales, you know, starting uh, in the roles that you did and really moving up into the head of sales. So I can see, like, you come over to LinkedIn and uh, move into that role. Uh, like you said, you, you, you took a smaller leadership role, and yet you've got this this intimate set of, what, half a dozen folks, and now you're hearing from management that they wouldn't go in to battle for you. And yet, that was probably 180 degrees of what you might thought the team thought of you at that time. And what, so what'd you discover? Yeah, I discovered a couple of things. And it wasn't just the team that wasn't connecting with me. It was also the other managers. So it was challenging on a bunch of dimensions. Uh, what I what I learned is that I was showing up in a way that was just creating friction with everyone. All of the ideas of how we could improve our process and the feedback I was providing was was just not landing. And and so I had to really spend some time trying to understand what was I doing, how was I showing up in the office every day that was creating this dissonance with my team and also with, with the other leaders in, in the office. And, you know, I will say that it took me a, a few days to just get out of the funk to begin with. I mean, I went to a dark place for a few days after the feedback and was just thinking, did I make the right decision to come to LinkedIn? Could I be successful here? Should I not actually be a sales leader? You know, do I do I really know what I'm doing? I mean, I spent all of uh, you know went through all of the emotions uh, wow. um, that you might imagine when you when you hear something like that. Yeah, because we all want to 
we all want to do a good job. We all want to be successful in our careers. And, you know, for me, success is not measured so much intrinsically, right? It's, it's about the relationships you have and the impact that you're having on them. And, you know, when you're leaning in and you're, you know, doing what you came to do only to find out that you hadn't had that connection with the team. And as you said, with the leadership as well, I, I, I can only imagine that, you know, the, the wind just really got sucked out of your sails and, you know, you start, you start going into self-doubt and, and thinking about what you're going to do. So, so what came next? That's exactly what, what happened. And, you know, I think what was really helpful is that my boss at the time who had given me the feedback said to me a day or two later, he said, you know, the top performers will take feedback the hardest, but they'll also bounce back the fastest. And I think that gave me permission to wallow in the doubt and the insecurity and the fear and all of those emotions, but then to also say, okay, enough is enough and it's time to figure this out. And, and that's what I did. And so I started to think about what are the things that I'm doing every day that are making, creating this dynamic with the team. And I realized that things as simple as how I was walking down the hall, you know, walking fast and running late to meetings or showing up a bit exasperated or unprepared was giving off uh, a pretty negative vibe rather than slowing down, saying hi to people on the, as you pass their desk, creating uh, connection, those little moments of connection. But I think that the bigger learning and lesson for me in all of this was I came in wanting to make an impact and I hadn't spent time on the most important element, which you just touched on, and that's to build the relationships, the trust and connect, connection with the team. And I hadn't done it with my team enough and I hadn't done it with the other leaders. I was just coming in trying to make a mark on things and, and make everyone better instead of really getting to know the, the members of my team at a personal level, what they care about, who they are, what their story is, and not trying to fix them. So my team worked with with your marketing team, marketing operations team for years. We did the global deployment of your mar- marketing automation system and the integration with CRM and a lot of training. And And through that journey together, I discovered a lot about the culture at LinkedIn, which I like a lot, and some of the things that you guys do um, there among the team. And I'm wondering, do you, it may not be called this, but did you um, participate in the Discovery Insights program? This is the the persona profiling system that, that you know, derives your color wheel, uh, you know, what colors you are. It's kind of like Myers-Briggs. Is that familiar to you? Did you participate in that? Because I know the marketing org did, but I don't know if it was company-wide. Uh, we've done it in many different parts of the company and I've done Myers-Briggs and Insights and, and a few others. And so, yes, I think the self-awareness is a big part of our culture, understanding not only some of your tendencies and uh, inclinations and traits, but also better understanding those of your colleagues so you can better understand how to engage. Yeah. I bring it up because we do it here uh, as well. And that's why when, when, it, when someone said, oh, you're, you're being so red today uh, in a meeting, I was like, hey, do you guys do Discovery Insights? And they said, yeah, we do. And so, you know, for those of you that are, that are listening uh, without taking you through all this, you know, we're all, we're all different. And we see ourselves in the mirror as, as we think we are, and then we show up um, 
you know, in our, in our subconscious way. There's our conscious and subconscious. And the colors really represent your persona. And a, and a red persona is someone who's typically very, very driven. Um, you know, get to the facts, be brief, be gone. Uh, if they were uh, entering an elevator, they would be pushing the button five or six times until the elevator, you know, gets there. Where a blue type of, of personality is someone who's looking at the the chart at the top of the elevator and, and how many people can be in there, and and they're counting, estimating people's weight. Uh, they're very process oriented people and, and detail oriented people, and and greens are very emotional, relationship people, and um, yellows, which which is my primary color. Uh, you know, very inspirational, motivational. Like I, when I, when I'm in an elevator, I see it as a time to make new friends. You know that that so that just very different personalities. And we're not one of these colors. We're a blend of these colors that we're strong. And you know, you as Alyssa, as I've gotten to know you, being so driven, right, and not building those personal relationships and building trust with the organization, they just see you a certain way. And that that driven and wanting to help them succeed is is certainly not something anybody you know can't relate to or appreciate, but didn't have that personal connection. And there's changes. You talked about how you walk down the hall. You know, when I come into the office, Mindy, who is our office manager and my executive assistant, she's a green and she'll never listen to this podcast. But if you do, Mindy, I want you to know that I care about you. So when I come in, I hate to be on the phone because I like to say hello to her. And I like to ask her how her night and, and evening was and her day is and how she's feeling. And if I don't do that to a persona like that, I'm insensitive and un, and uncaring, and I just think you know we as an organization. So we all do this, and we all learn our different profiles, and we teach. You know, we're taught to just lean five percent in that other person's direction. So to be more green, if you're a red, if you're a green, to be a, a bit more direct and and get to the point. If you're talking to a red, and and it was really valuable. I didn't mean to digress there, but it's I I thought growing up and and in work that. I didn't really understand that these differences were just how people were, you know, that you, you, you know, we're, yeah, we're human beings and we're all different, but it, it never really, nobody broke down the science of the different personas and the understanding that if you just change a little bit, the connection that you can have and how you, you show up so, so differently. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that people know how to rebrand themselves. I don't think that people know how to reboot relationships if they're one way. I mean, you did that successfully. So how, how do you do that? Yeah, well, you can probably tell by the explanation you just gave that I am a strong red or have been, that was probably my natural tendency, which was be, you know, be direct, be swift, be gone. Uh, and what I, what I realized is that I needed to develop some of the more personable and personal aspects of relationship building. And, and a big part started with realizing that getting to the outcomes or the results was not necessarily a recipe for success. So using that as the primary focus. And so I started to spend less of my time on driving to the numbers and the activities and giving people just a ton of feedback and coaching and started to connect on a more personal level. And, and practically what that meant is I realized I wasn't bringing my whole self to work. And I think we've all heard that phrase, but I realized I wasn't giving people any insight into who I was as a human being and what was going on in my personal life and who I was and how my upbringing and experiences in life shaped me to be the person that I was. And so I started to very deliberately spend more time with my team, with some of the other managers that had been critical of me, really opening up and talking about some of the things that I was struggling with. 
And I, you know, I, I actually shared the feedback and I said, I, I'm, I don't even know how to process this. I'm, I'm feeling uh, confused. I'm feeling a bit scared. I'm, I'm not sure how to turn it around and think it was both being open and really vulnerable with them that I was going through this and that I, one that I'd heard it, but two that I was, I was open and willing to, to, to show that vulnerability myself was really an important turning point in a lot of these relationships. And in fact, one of the biggest critics, one of my biggest peers, uh, or peers who was my biggest critic became a mentor through the, the conversations that we had when I, I came to him and said, you know, I, I recognize that here's what's been going on. Here's the feedback I've been given. And I know that, you know, I, I believe that you might've been a, one of the folks that's been most critical and I really loved your help in working through this, but I don't know how to solve it. And so that, that was a really big step. And, you know, one of the things that happened, it was one of the defining moments in my career so far, and certainly a defining uh, moment in helping me decide how I wanted to be as a leader. And that was a people first leader. And so I, I've developed this saying that really for me, that, that we are people first and we're professional second. Mm -hmm. And so now every time I'm part of a team or I join a new organization, a new part of the business, I, I always start with, let's put all of the business decisions and all of the metrics and KPIs aside, and let's first spend some time getting to know each other and really investing in that personal connection and relationship. Because without that, it's impossible to get anything done well, or at least in an environment where people are really thriving. I want to ask you, though, um, because you are a sales leader, and for those that don't know, I mean, Alyssa's not going to, you know, pound her chest, but, you know, she's in the top 50 at LinkedIn, which is a massive organization. She is a major leader in the organization, runs now an extremely large, the entire, I think, um, sales solutions uh, team across Americas. And so big time role and, and certainly has learned a lot in her career, which we want to keep sharing that. I want to ask you this question. So when you make yourself vulnerable as a sales leader and when you form these personal relationships, how then do you have the difficult conversations when you've now bonded with these people and they're not performing in sales, when you have to hold them accountable to hitting their number and they're not, or they're not rising to the occasion. Do you find that that personal relationship gets in the way of having those carefrontational conversations? Well, I've, I've found the exact opposite the case. Uh, and I can imagine, I think there are a lot of people that struggle with, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings or I, you know, if I invest too deeply on a personal level, you know, can we, can we change the tone of the conversation? And I found that one, I, I've, I've tried to, to always lead with this concept of being able to provide fast feedback to each other and just be real. It's one of the things that I've learned is that teams or relationships where there's no trust, you, you find that people are just really nice to each other. But where there's real trust and connection and depth, you can be real and you can actually get through and, and have the tough conversations quickly and you can move on. And so I found that the stronger the relationships are that I've built with people, the quicker and the more directly we could just say, hey, I, I, I need to give you some feedback on that conversation or how you showed up in that meeting or, or your tone or whatever the situation was. And we can get through it quickly and without any ego involved, and we can move forward. And so that's been my personal experience. Uh, and, and I don't know if that, do you think that's different than what most people experience uh, in, in managing folks? 
I think I think people have a difficult time having um, direct conversations. I, I recently asked my entire leadership team to read uh, Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, because I thought she provided some good frameworks for having a, you know that that term that I use, you know, carefrontational. And one of the things uh, I'm no Kim Scott, but one of the things I took away from the book was this one quadrant where she talked about where you don't give people feedback, and that is the worst quadrant to be in in your relationship because you're denying them the chance for improvement. You are, you you think you're being nice by not saying something that um, either making holding them accountable or, or pushing them out of their comfort zone, and you think, you know, God, they're such a nice person. I don't really want to hurt their feelings or you know let them know that I'm disappointed or sound disappointed. I got to tell you, as a CEO, I've never really more in my career that my voice carries such an extreme weight and then if I tell someone hey that that wasn't your finest whatever um, boy it can really take the wind out of the sails just like the feedback you got so people don't have those conversations and then their performance suffers and it keeps suffering and suffering and then god forbid but one day it's like hey, uh, this is no longer the right organization for you. It's time for you to go. And you know what? You got to hold yourself accountable when you fail someone because you never gave them feedback uh, earlier. But I think people struggle with it, Alyssa. I think people don't yeah. know how to do it. And, it. and it robs them. It robs someone of, of performance. You you know, when we chatted um, recently, you said, you know, I asked you, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, did you play sports when you were young? And Because you, I, w- I wasn't surprised by the answer. You're like, yeah, I played, I played tennis. I played competitive tennis. And you know, and then I asked you, was it singles? And you said, actually, I did play singles, but I shined in doubles, which was a team-oriented aspect. And I'm sure you had a coach and a trainer that was able to tell you what to do. And yet, when we're in sports, we welcome the feedback from a coach. And yet, in work, we're not necessarily always trained or comfortable to give performance coaching. And I think management is really just that, is learning how to be an effective performance coach. And I, I coached girls soccer for 14 years. It taught me a lot about helping someone play play their best. So that's, that's my take on it. But I, I don't know why, Alyssa, people don't do it more often and, and work at getting really good at it. You know, my, my thought on that is that I think we sometimes are too concerned with how people are going to view us. So I actually think it's a rather selfish view that some, we, we're not conscious of it, but we're more concerned about, is this going to hurt my relationship or how am I going to be viewed or am I going to, uh, you know, erode trust or, you know, have something irreparable happen if I if I share something that one doesn't want to hear, and I and I think that has been a really important learning for me over the years. Is I have to remove my ego and how I might be perceived in the uh, in the interest of helping the other person, and it is a more of that servant leader. It's less about me, and it's all about I need to make sure that we're having the conversations that can help you. To improve because ultimately here I'm here to help you to be successful, not for you to help me hit my number. And that's a really important but nuanced perspective as a leader. And so I think if if more of us could get comfortable with uh, it's okay if we're not liked for a little bit as someone digests that feedback or needs to work through it, or maybe they don't come out on the other side in a good place, but they've heard what they they needed to hear or they got that feedback at coaching, and now it's up to them to decide what to do with that. I think that we would we'd have much more productive and healthy workplaces. I think it's good. I, you know, I, I reached out to Kim after finishing her book and connect with her, guess where, on LinkedIn. And um, she and I have started a dialogue, and I'm, I'm looking to have her on the program because I think she, the framework that she provides, it, it, needs to be, it needs to be told. What I want to do with her expertise in this area is to talk about 
the alignment issues between sales and marketing, right? Because I grew up in my earlier parts of my career, Alyssa, uh, hearing from your counterparts that all my leads suck, you know, and I'm I'm working as hard as I can running marketing and trying to grow the business and and are grow the business, and yet you take this just just bashing back from sales that there's never enough leads and that they all suck. And so I think God, there's a there's a department, both sales and marketing, that are constantly in a state of confrontation and yet also desiring collaboration. What can we do to get those conversations between sales and marketing to be more effective? Because every marketer, every one of our clients and every marketer I ever talked to desires a better working relationship, a higher trust relationship, a better rapport with sales, and they're seeking that. I don't know if sales seeks that. Let me ask you that. I mean, throughout your career, definitely focused on growing and building relationships with your sales team. Did you think and do you think about the relationship with with marketing and marketing leadership? Yes. And I would say today now more than ever, I think there's such a huge opportunity to impact the business. And the world is changing so quickly that the more we're in lockstep, the more we can really see the force multiplier effect of sales and marketing working together. And, you know, it's, we, we've gone through our own evolution and I think we're midway through the journey of this, this idea of how can sales and marketing really build stronger alignment and relationships. And in fact, I, I hosted a quarterly business review with, it wasn't just marketing. It was with all of our uh, cross-functional teams. So our insight team that does a lot of analytics and analysis for us for, um, for our customers and our customer success org and marketing. And I experimented with something that I felt would in this, this theme of either radical candor or fast feedback, just be, let's get everything out into the open because it's not worth us sitting down and trying to understand what's happening top or bottom of the funnel and conversion rates and all of the other stuff if we really don't understand how we're both feeling as a starting place yeah. and, and really talking about what's working and what's not. And so I, I gave everyone red, yellow. actually it was, it started out as red, yellow and green uh, flashcards, but we took away the yellow because we felt like that was too much of a cop out. And we, so everyone could either have a green or a red flashcard. And uh, so as, as an example with marketing, my partner, Vidya, we, we had, uh, we had everyone go around the table, every sales leader and every cross-functional partner and either flash or red or green based on how they felt like the relationship was going. And then we had Vidya do the same and she gave us a grade. And it was one of the the most productive conversations we've had because we, well, first you have to leave all the egos aside yeah. and really be okay to have, have some, some, some real candid discussions and for her to give me feedback and to give uh, the sales leaders feedback and to be able to have a discussion about what's working and what's not. And what are, what are we doing as leaders that get it, that are the things that are getting in the way of us having a really, really productive relationship. And so we, we started with that and then we can get into how do we pick some of the mechanics and, and alignment and, demand and all the things that we we want to focus on uh, in terms of driving outcomes. But that was a really important first conversation. I wonder how many, how many functional groups are sitting down to have that level of candid discussion. I don't think enough. I, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time on the phone talking with CMOs and marketing operations leaders who are talking to me about, like I said, that desire to have a better working partnership 
with other areas of the organizations, whether that's IT or whether that's sales or even the CEO, you know, and I don't think people have transparent enough conversations. I don't think they really know how to, what you said earlier, you know, bring their full self to work in so many ways. Um, people have their guard up and the best relationships are when your guard is down, when you're, when you're willing to be vulnerable. And yet people are not, so many people in life are not willing to be vulnerable because they're afraid to get taken advantage of or that, or that to be seen as, as weak. And, um, Alyssa, I mean, you had this feedback from your team and since we're on a podcast, people can't see you. You're what, five feet without heels on? I think you told me. <laughs> That's right. The point is when you show up, in the presence of someone else, you're not this six foot four, you know, gigantic football player type person that's intimidating and scary. You're just driven and you're driven uh, to success. And the podcast that I've had on here with, with Rob Mayo. So you're driven and you want to get shit done. And, you know, you, you recognize that the team can do that together. And yet before building those personal relationships and caring, doesn't matter how you look, doesn't matter what your size is, even though we're human beings, we've, we've evolved. And so it's much more about communication style and, and, and than it is presence first. Although you did pick up that there's a physical presence, the way you show up in meetings that was creating a certain brand persona of, of not who you wanted to be. Um, what are you still working on now? I, I, you know, as a sales leader, one of the questions I'd love to ask you is how do you, how do you spot and hire great sales talent or develop it. You know, I, I, that is something that I, I can't say I've ever led a sales team long enough to give myself credit for building a strong sales organization. I've been a marketing leader, you know, prior to being CEO, and I'd love to know your secrets about building uh, and leading a great sales organization, because I know that's something that, um, you know, everybody struggles with. You know, most, most salespeople underperform, you know, just by the numbers. And, um, What's, what's made you so successful in building out your team? Yeah, well, I hope these, these thoughts or philosophies apply to, to any functional area. In particular, they, they, I'd imagine many apply to marketing as well. But, you know, I, I think just generally speaking, I think being very clear on what your own leadership philosophy is, is incredibly important and clarifying and helps you to identify the kinds of people that you want to around you, but it also helps other people to self-select out if they're not aligned. And so that's, that's a really important first step, I think, is, is codifying and being very clear about what are the things that I stand for? What, how do I define greatness for myself? And what are my expectations for my leaders? There's a whole nother story for another time, but I, one of my biggest mistakes in managing uh, a, a leadership team a few years ago I made was not being clear enough. I thought I was being very clear about what my bar of excellence looked like. And I realized that with one of my leaders, uh, we had very different perspectives on how he thought I was, how he thought he was doing and how I thought he was doing. And I realized I never come out explicitly and said, this is what great looks like. And let's calibrate. Uh, and that goes beyond the performance expectations of a job. I, my, as you might imagine, my expectations go well beyond maybe the, the, the normal uh, the normal goals and responsibilities of a sales manager, as an example. <laughs> uh, but but in terms of building a team, you know, managers are our greatest point of leverage, and that is in any functional area. And so the first step is to ensure that you really understand where are our, our, our skills, where are the gaps, 
how are we on EQ? What's the mix of introverts and extroverted sales leaders? I mean, particularly in sales, it's interesting. You, you actually see quite a big mix. Um, and, and but but based on whether folks are more introverted or extroverted, really tells you how much energy they have to bring to show up as different kinds of leaders yep. to their teams. And big so, I, I really like to understand the dynamics. And I've got about forty leaders on my team, and so you can imagine. I mean, they're, they're all sorts of different personalities, traits, and styles that show up. And so I want to really understand what is that composition and where are the gaps. So as we look at hiring another leader, we're looking at not how do we bring in more of the same, but how do we maybe fill in some gaps that we don't have or bring in uh, a new set of perspectives or a different set of expertise than, that we might have with the, the current folks. And we do the same thing when it comes to hiring reps, although you're looking at on a smaller scale. And so if you have you know, maybe seven to 10 reps on your team, it's not just about finding the next bestseller. It really is looking at what is my team dynamic today? Do I need somebody who's going to be uh, a great cultural ad in terms of they're going to bring just great energy to the team? Or maybe they just come from a totally different walk of life or they're coming from a, a totally different industry than we, what we've got represented. And so I think understanding how do I put all of the pieces together to have uh, a really dynamic team where it's not really homogeneous is really an important step. And then there's, of course, the, well, how do you go test for and hire for great high-performing individuals? And I'll tell you one thing that we've really landed on here at LinkedIn and within our organization is trying to identify sellers that are comfortable creating healthy tension and having a strong point of view. Because especially in the business that I'm leading, uh, we have a product sales navigator that it's a solution that is, it demands a different approach to, than how many people have been selling in the past, which has, in a lot of cases has been more of a pray and pray approach. Let me just go try to uh, send out a blast note and get as many people in the door as I can to engage in a conversation. And, and this idea with, uh, really leveraging relationships, insights about individuals, and creating a higher caliber connection and a more personal connection with someone right out of the gates, not only, of course, leads to better conversion and, and sales price and all of the goodness that comes on the back end, mm-hmm. but it requires a different kind of seller because we're, we're going out to head the sales and marketing and saying, we believe we, we have a solution that can be really valuable, but we need you to think about your selling methodology in a slightly different way. And that it's a certain kind of, of individual who has confidence, who has conviction, who is, uh, is, a, is not afraid to challenge the status quo. And so one of the things that we test for in our interviews is, um, is this person uh, comfortable creating a, a bit of that dynamic? And so we, we'll ask them for, you know, we'll ask them for feedback on our interview process. We'll, we'll ask them to give us uh, you know, their perspective, and if they can't, if they're not comfortable providing that, that's a pretty good signal to us that this is not somebody that will really thrive in this environment. And so, what we call it is, does this person have a lack of self consciousness? Wow, no, I like it. It's a good technique. I, I hate the interviewing process. I absolutely hate it. I think it's it's. Um, you know, I've 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 been married now for I've been together with my wife for thirty one years, long time. And we dated for three years before we got engaged. And 
So we were together for four years, and we you know, then decided to spend the rest of our lives together. You've been at Corporate Executive Board. You were over the over nine years. You've been at LinkedIn for what now? Almost eight. I was going to say almost 10 years, so eight years. So you're a very loyal, very driven person, and you decided to spend nine years of your life at one company and eight years of your life at another company. Um, and I say of your life because that's what you do for one-third of your day, at least one-third of your day. And isn't it weird that when we interview, it's like, okay, a meeting here, a meeting here, like five hours or so of get-together, and then you make a decision to commit to each other, the company and you, for the, quote, rest of your life, or at least for that portion of your career. And so I just think the process is so unnatural um, to make such a critical decision, and that's why I obsess a little bit about all the different techniques to try and find someone who's a great cultural fit and is going to succeed, um, you know, themselves succeed in the organization. They succeed, the organization's going to succeed. It's just tough, and I, I wish it just was a uh, easier process. I want to come back to, um, you, we talked a little bit about technology because you mentioned sales navigator. When you hire for salespeople today, how much technical aptitude are you looking for? Because let's face it, they should be uh, using CRM and they certainly have many different sales enablement tools of which you guys provide one of the leading ones. Are you looking for technical acumen or, or are you saying, you know what, we'll teach that or do you want them to come with a propensity to use and embrace uh, tools for selling? I'm much more interested in hiring smart, curious, driven people than I am worried about their technical expertise uh, and, and honestly, even their sales experience in some cases. It depends by level and by role, what, you know, how much that matters. But I think that, that it, you can always teach the the technical parts and, and, you know, most people aren't going to come in with a full understanding of the sales tech landscape. Uh, those are things that we can teach, but what I can't teach as, as easily, or I don't know if you can even teach it at all, is really teaching someone to be curious, to, uh, to have the, the intellectual aptitude to go toe to toe with a, the, a CMO or a CRO or CEO and talk about modernizing their sales force and uh, digital transformation. So those are, I'd much rather hire and test for the softer skills than I would for the technical. I love it. Good point. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you uh, to make a prediction in the future and get your opinion on this. Um, let's say that marketing and sales are a family. Um, who is going to be the breadwinner five years from now or 10 years from now? Who's going who's gonna to out-earn? Is it the head of marketing or is it the head of sales? And I'm going to start asking this question both to sales leaders and marketing <laughs> leaders and see what the uh, collective answers are over time. What do you think? Because let's, let's be honest, in the past, the breadwinner has been the head of sales. And I don't know if there's going to be earning equality ever or that, but I'd like to get your, your take on it. Wow. Wow. Okay. I guess we'll have to, uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot writing in this one. Well, I, I will start by saying, you know, today, when you look at the Venn diagram of where marketing is investing dollars and driving outcomes and where sales is uh, overlapping with all of the efforts that marketing is putting in, you see, you know, generally probably less than 10 to 15% overlap between the, the work that both functions are doing. And 
I, you know, we're, we're working on something that helps that Venn diagram get closer to 100%. And I think we'll be able to do that, hopefully, in, in you know, the relatively short term. I think when we get to a place where that, that is just how we're operating. So one, sales and marketing leaders are working in lockstep as partners, not as two discrete functional areas, but as partners. And you start to have a more holistic overlap between all of the work that marketing is doing and the working work that sales is doing. And you have just total alignment on uh, the the lead flow and the, the value and it's just all the way from top of the funnel, all the way down. I wonder if you get to a place where, I don't know, maybe the marketers will, will hate this answer, but do we start to incentivize marketers differently? And could you get to a place where there's mutual and joint accountability for the outcomes of sales? That could be interesting. So I don't know if that's a, a soft answer, but maybe you get to a place of more parity because there there's mutual accountability. I, it is a soft answer, but I, I I like the recognition that you're saying that there should be more more parity. And I do think oh. that marketing needs to step up to the plate and have variable comp that isn't, you know, variable comp that, that is tied to meaningful metrics. And we as an organization, um, one as many of our team members to write, have uh, compensation that's tied to the success of the organization. You couldn't measure very much in marketing in the past. It was really hard to quantify the contribution you were making to the business, that has changed. It was really hard to measure the success of your programs. That has changed, right? You have a sales organization. It's near the end of the year for you, and you're going to look at the performance of your sales team. You're regularly looking at the performance. In fact, we have a weekly scorecard for our entire sales uh, team, so everybody knows what points are on the board and what they're doing. In order for marketing to get to compensation equality or even to be a breadwinner if that is the direction where this ever goes in the in the digital economy um, that you have to know their performance and the contribution for revenue because once you can say here's what marketing contributed this year to revenue then you can ask for more money and you can earn more money because you're you're seen by the investors and the market um you can quantify it. And that's why sales sales leaders have always earned as much as they do, because if there's a big, huge sales number and they build an organization to hit that sales number, the company wants to invest in that. It's like a salary cap, right? They they have so much money to invest in growth and and sales gets a lot of that funding because there's they're they're so quantifiably linked to sales performance. So until marketing gets there, it's sometimes hard to justify. And that's why we may not see compensation like sales compensation in other departments of the organization. So I'm going to keep asking that question and see if I get soft answers or more direct answers. I think some some marketing leaders might say they're, they're going to be the breadwinner. We'll see. It's hard to predict the <laughs> well, maybe, future. Maybe it's not a soft answer. Maybe, maybe it's just that, uh, that we, need to, we need to have variable comp tied to, to performance. You know, I don't know why, as a marketing leader, you wouldn't want the skin in the game. If you can drive outperformance, I, I want that upside. So... Uh, maybe that's just a, a, it'd be interesting to see how many people are interested in, in a role like that. Yeah. There's, there's downside too. I just put out a, a, a small post the other day, uh, on LinkedIn, um, at, a, as a, at last count, let's, let's pull it up. I got my computer in front of me at last count. There was, uh, wow. Let's see this. 14,500 views of a very small little post on LinkedIn where I was, talking about the initiatives that I'm working on for 2019. And one of the ones I asked is, should there be club for marketing? And, you know, should we get together an intimate group of 
marketing leaders and marketing operations leaders to, you know, align and talk about marketing structures and processes and methods. And I, you know, it looks like just by the resounding feedback from it, we will, we will do it next year. And I want to talk about compensation and variable compensation, uh, because I, I think exactly as you suggest, if you want it, you got to put some numbers against what you're contributing and track yourself against it and, and justify it. That's, that's what it's going to take. Um, your future, um, you're crushing it over there at LinkedIn. Uh, you know, when, when the acquisition happened by Microsoft, uh, I think a lot of people started thinking, you know, what will happen into the future of LinkedIn? And we've seen nothing but growth out of the team. And you guys are really, really do a good job. What, uh, what can you share with everyone about the future of LinkedIn around the, the tools and, and technologies that you guys are going to provide to sellers and, and marketers? Anything, anything you can share as we look into 2019 that, that you guys are working on that will delight and surprise people? <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of things that are coming that I hope will delight and surprise both sales leaders and marketing leaders. Uh, you know, we've been investing uh, a tremendous amount in making this, the sales navigator solution really valuable across the entire sales organization. I think that's something that you're going to continue to see us invest in. And so what I mean by that is uh, it, traditionally, I think we've been viewed as a, a great tool for prospecting. And so you see uh, BDR, sales devs, and uh, AE teams really leveraging the, the solution. But we're uh, seeing a lot of adoption across the entire sales organization. And of course, our entire sales board uses it every day. But really, uh, you know, account managers, relationship managers, customer success, and increasingly, uh, sales ops, which is probably a less obvious uh, consumer of, of the solution, but you're going to start to see us come out with some really interesting insights and that will help uh, sales execs, sales ops, and and managers to be able to make more informed decisions about their business. So everything from planning to um, anyway, how things are going. And I think that's really exciting for us. And so, and you know, we're just sitting on such incredible uh, data and insights because of the, the platform yeah. that we're, we're excited to be able to uh, to be able to share that and and of course I alluded to uh, the fact that you know we're working on some things to really bring sales and marketing together and and again close that gap on the Venn diagram and so I think those will be the, the those are the two areas that I'm most excited about uh, over the next next few months I love it I I you know can't wait to uh, I wish I had a time machine where I could go forward and see what's going to happen but I've you know I'm a huge LinkedIn fan, not only the company and the culture, but the the platform and the network. And I think you are the world's best B2B database, right? And it's so interesting that we have CRMs that we actually have to enter data into, and yet you have this incredible database that uh, that people can leverage for not only networking and for recruiting and hiring, but for engagement as well. So uh, I have no doubt that uh, the LinkedIn team and the Microsoft team at a, at a broader perspective will keep bringing innovations and ability for for people to engage better online. That's really what you guys are, are all about. Well, thank you for spending time. I got another little surprise tidbit for you. Not only are you the first salesperson that I've ever had on the program, this is the longest podcast I've ever done. So it just goes to show um, how great it is to have you and for me to learn you know, uh, from you as a leader and for um, your insights on just becoming a more effective leader and also uh, just the importance of being vulnerable and having those really personal conversations. I think every one of us, whether you're in management or not, you just you want to have great relationships and you want to help everyone perform at their best. So thank you for sharing your insights. I, I do, Alyssa, you uh, 
you write that book someday on on sales leadership. Um, I think I think you've got a great uh, set of insights uh, and a great set of lessons to to bring to the rest of the world for everybody who didn't happen to listen to this podcast and and read what you're putting online. Maybe uh, take that on as a challenge. I, I know you're always looking for new ones. Will do. We'll hold you to that. And thank you so much. It was a real pleasure and really really fun to chat through all of this. Absolutely. Well, have a good rest of your year. And to everybody listening, I hope if you're listening to this podcast in this month of December, when we put it together, that you have a safe and happy and healthy holidays with you and your family. We've got a few more episodes to come. And as I mentioned, we are approaching the 100th episode, and I have some ideas for what to do for that major milestone on Demand Gen Radio. So look for that coming up. But Alyssa, thank you. Give my best to the team. And for all of you on Demand Gen Radio, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 